0: Hey, everybody, this is Steve Hutto. Thank you for stopping by and checking out my podcast. Uh, we're brought to you by Harvest Celebration Ministries. My wife and myself founded that several years ago. God is causing it to flourish for His glory. We reach into India, we reach into Honduras, uh, Central America. Uh, and uh, God has been so faithful over the years. If you'd like to s- just check out Harvest Celebration Ministries, if you are missions-minded, check us out. We are at www.harvestcell.com. That's h-a-r-v-c-e-l.com. This is all about my podcast and my teaching, How to Have Revival, Part 2. So I'm going to start with James, Chapter 4, and uh, verses 7 and 8, uh, probably Most believers, if you've walked with the Lord for a while, uh, have heard of this uh, passage of Scripture or perhaps even know it by heart. But it's James 4, 7, and 8. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's James 4, 7, and 8. Now James uses some pretty strong terminology that might be offensive to some in these passages that we're going to talk about today, but part of my teaching is to explain what he really means when he says what he says. And enough said about that right now, but I'll talk about that in just a few minutes. This is the second part of How to Have Revival. And I want to begin with a a review of what I talked about in in, uh, session number one. But first of all, let me ask this question and answer it. What is revival? Well, I can tell you revival is not necessarily a series of meetings held with a special speaker that comes into the church in the spring and in the fall. Uh, Revival is not when those series of meetings are extended beyond what they're initially scheduled and you have extra meetings That's not true revival, but this is true revival. Revival is a spiritual awakening. It's a spiritual awakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of a born-again Christian. This is what revival encompasses. Revival encompasses the the resurfacing of a love for God and appreciation for God's holiness. Revival encompasses passion for His Word and His church a a convicting awareness of personal and corporate sin. Revival encompasses a spirit of humility and a desire for repentance and growth in righteousness. I'm going to name those off. Now, I'm not going to cover all these, but what I'm covering today and in my last session is the beginning of these things. These things naturally take course, or maybe spiritually, but they take their course if we will do our part in how to have revival. But this is revival again. Number one, it's a spiritual awakening. It's also a resurfacing of our love for God, a restrengthening, a rejuvenating of our love for God, an appreciation for God's holiness, a passion for His Word and His church. Revival is also a convicting awareness of personal and corporate sin, a spirit of humility, and revival is a desire for repentance and growth in righteousness. Now, in quick review, in the first session, revival is a decision. You know, the, the, the title of this message is How to Have Revival. Well, first of all, you have to decide to have revival. Now, with that said, I'm not saying that you can't go to a special meeting and, and God touch you, zap you, You come up, you know, differently and things change in your life, at least for a season. But sooner or later, at some point, you have to decide to remain in revival. Or you have to decide to go deeper in revival. Your walk with Jesus is not based solely on a one-time experience you had in the presence of God. Those things are good and wonderful, and when you decide to have revival, you will experience more of that. But underlying all that, revival is a decision. Why is it a decision? Because it's based on a realization of, a, of the need to change. I mean, you look at your life and you see things that need to change that you know are not pleasing to God. Or you see things around you like, look what's going on in the world today. And you, and you see the need to change and that motivates you to make a decision to go further with God, to go deeper with God. I mean, these realizations that you have that are initialized by the Spirit of God give you the motivation to do something about it. Revival, you can make a decision to have revival when you're tired of the way things are going. They're boring. They're dry. Your heart is hard or your heart is cold, or your spirit has gone dormant. There's just no, um, there's no zeal for God in your spirit anymore. And you, again, you can look around and you might see a lack of passion for Jesus and others, among others. You see a lack of influence in the world by the church. I mean, look again at all the stuff that's going on in the world today. Where is the church? How is the, how is the church changing things today? And it's wrong to passively accept that things are going to be worse and get worse in the end times. You can't say that. That's not true because the scripture says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So in the midst of all of the darkness and the corruption in government and and the school shootings and the passivity and the complacency and the apathy of the church, someone has to say, man, something's got to change. And so they decide to have revival. They make a decision. And so you must realize that revival begins with you. I have to realize that for myself. And it begins with you and me before it's going to spread to anyone else. And I'm not saying someone else can't influence you. Maybe I'm influencing you by this teaching today. But above it all, we have to understand that I have to decide to have revival if I expect anyone else to ever have revival. And we know from history that revival does spread when a life changes for Jesus. So again, revival must begin with a decision to have revival. And then number two we talked about, revival begins with a decision to pray or to draw near to God. Let me say this, you cannot have revival without prayer. (laughs) The, The essence of revival is prayer. And James said this in verses uh, 7 through 8. James 4, 7 through 8. That's the the text that I started with. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We'll talk about these strong words that he's using here in just a minute. But listen, we focus on resist the devil, resist the devil, resist the devil. But you know what? You can never resist the devil unless you first submit yourself to God. Because when you're submitted to God, the devil can't affect you like he does when you're just trying to resist him under your own power. But in the presence of God, He's not there. He he might try to put thoughts in your head, and He might try to bring up your past and do all things like that, but we just take captive every thought to the obedience of Jesus. When you're in the presence of Jesus, or if you're making the effort because you've made the decision to pray, because you've made the the decision to have revival, then when you're submitted to God, you can resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And he goes on to say that... We must submit to God, therefore, or submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, revival then is a decision not only to resist the devil, but to draw near to God through prayer. As a matter of fact, again, you have to draw near to God through prayer, or revival is not possible. And when I say prayer, as I said last time, um, that includes praise and worship and the Word of God, confessing of the Word of God. In my prayer time, let me, let me just share this. I'm a walker. I like to walk around the house as the sun's coming up in the morning time, carrying my Bible. And, and a lot of my prayer is reading a scripture and then praying that scripture. Or confessing that scripture over my wife. She doesn't know it. She's asleep at that time. Or over my house. Or over my job. Or over our ministry. Or, or over our finances. And, and, and it just flows the word and prayer. Just flow. I like to confess the word. I like to pray the word back to God. That's how it refer, returns to him uh, without being void and, and accomplishing what he sent it forth for. You, you return it to him in prayer and confession. And the Bible even says that angels hearken unto the voice of God to perform His Word. So when you're praying the Word or speaking the Word over something, which is prayer, and confessing the Word, angels have to do what you say or what the Word says because they obey the voice of the Word of God. Isn't that incredible? So again, let me just say this. Revival is a decision to draw near to God through prayer. You cannot have revival without prayer. Here's a scripture we talked about last time, Colossians four two, Paul said this, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it, with an attitude of thanksgiving. I love this scripture. Now, we didn't talk about this last time, but I'm going to touch on this. The word devote, from the original Greek language, means to be earnest towards a thing or somebody. So when you devote yourself, you are earnest toward them. To devote yourself to prayer means you're serious about prayer. It's not something that you passively do. It's not something that you do out of duty, but you, you know that you know that you need to pray and that your prayers are effective. See, that's what keeps me praying every morning. It, 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 I know that my prayers are heard by God and that because I pray the Word of God that my prayers work. Prayer does work. So, devote means to be earnest towards someone or a thing. It means to persevere. Persevere in prayer, keeping alert in it. You know, you don't just pray uh, because uh, on Monday morning, you know, I'm excited about it. I want to get something started, so I get up and make myself pray. Had a good time. Tuesday morning, you get up and pray. Wednesday, you go, oh man, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for a week, you don't pray. Then again, 10 days later, you pray again. That's not devotion. That's not perseverance. Another word from the original language um, for devote is to be constantly diligent. To be constantly diligent. Did you know, my friend, that it takes some effort to be constantly diligent? It's not based on how you feel. It's the fact that you've made the decision to pray because you've made the decision to, to, to have revival and you know that you can't have revival without prayer. To be constantly diligent. Man, be constantly diligent in prayer, Paul is saying. And then the last one I want to share from the original language for the word devote is to adhere closely to. When you devote yourself to a person, like your, your, your spouse, your wife, or your husband, you adhere closely to them. It's the same thing, devote yourself to prayer. And listen, when you devote yourself to prayer, you're really devoting yourself to Jesus. Did you catch that? When you devote yourself to prayer, when you're earnest toward it, when you persevere in it, when you're constantly diligent in prayer, when you adhere adhere closely to prayer, you're doing all those things because you're really devoting yourself to Jesus. That's why your prayer works. And let me say this. To devote is a step further than to commit. Here's why. To commit is to make a solid decision with the mind. And to devote is a solid decision not only with the mind, but with the heart. I've got to say that one more time. To commit is to make a solid decision with the mind. When you commit to something, I'm going to do it. I'm deciding that. doesn't matter how I feel. I'm just making that decision. That's what I'm going to do. I'm c- going to commit to it. But to devote is that solid decision, not only with the mind, but you add the heart to. So that's why when you're devoted to prayer, you're really devoted to Jesus. Wow. So number one, you gotta have a decision to, to have revival. You make a decision to have revival. Number two, you make the decision to pray because revival is necessary. I mean prayer is necessary to have revival. And number three, Revival also is a decision to repent. Now, a lot of people get nervous when they hear the word repent or repentance because someone's done stopped teaching and they've they've gone to meddling now. (laughs) But really, revival is a decision to repent. You cannot have revival without repentance. In the same way, you cannot have revival without prayer. In the same way, you cannot have um, revival itself without the decision to have revival. But back to repentance. Revival is a decision to repent. can't have revival without it. So the decision to repent, it deals first with those things that you already know. You're already aware of these things and that you need to repent of them. I mean, we don't know of every single sin and every single thing that we're doing that's not pleasing to God because God reveals those things as we draw closer to Him, especially as we move closer to Him through revival. But the decision to repent in order to have revival deals first with those things that you already know you need to repent of. There may be things in your life that you just enjoy doing and you know in your heart and in your spirit it's not pleasing to god but maybe you rationalize that away you may think well everybody else does it or maybe you're you just you just don't want to put up the put out the effort to to change what you're doing But repentance begins with those things. It might be a broken relationship that you know God you know, in the family, in your family, that you know God wants you to mend, do your part to mend. It could be something that you're looking at on television or on the computer and you know they're not pleasing to God. Those images are not pleasing to God. You know that. That's where the decision to repent begins with. Those things that you are aware of and you want to repent of those things. And those things maybe that you have you have neglected to do. That's what you repent of. For instance, a lack of prayer. You can repent of that. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But first, let's talk about what repentance means or to repent. Now, most people think that repentance means just to ask God to forgive you for something. It starts with that. It could start with asking God to forgive you of something if you know it's a sin and He's convicted you that it's a sin. But repentance, or to repent, is to change one's mind accompanied by regret for the course that you were pursuing. It's to turn around in the direction you're going 180 degrees. Now, here's let me clarify that a little bit. You know of things... That you're doing, perhaps, that you need to repent of. That's where repentance starts. What do you do? You stop doing those things. Certainly you ask God to help you, ask God to forgive you. That's asking God to forgive us. First John 1 9, of course, covers that. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, especially when you know God has already poured out his blood to cleanse you of those things, and you still go back and you do those things, never hurts to confess your sins and, and take it to God, and as they say, have short accounts with God and with Jesus. But true repentance is simply when you make the decision to stop doing those things. I mean, there it is, sin A. You know, there's sin A, B, C, all the way down through Z. (laughs) And there's sin A. You know you're involved in it. So what do you do to repent? You stop doing sin A. You stop that sin. It's that simple. But you make a decision not to do it anymore. The next thing you do, or you do it at the same time, is you turn from that sin by turning off the TV, or having prayer during that time, or going and asking that person to forgive you, or whatever it may be, you stop the sin part, then you turn from it, and you go the opposite direction. So rather than propagating a broken relationship by never reaching out to that person, you do the opposite. You go to them, you reach out to that person, and do your part to ask their forgiveness, or to forgive them if they've offended you. And so, to repent... It's a change of mind. You know, the scripture says that God is not a man that he should repent. What that really means is God doesn't change his mind when he speaks his word. When he speaks, you know, his word, the scripture says, is forever settled in heaven. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of God will stand forever. So God doesn't make us a promise and then a hundred years later retract that promise and Go something, do something totally different or go in a different direction. God does not change his mind. We are the ones that change our minds to line up with the way he thinks and with what he says. That's repentance. So you're going in a direction. To repent means you stop what you're doing, you turn from it, and you go toward God. You pursue God in that area. Maybe you're struggling with something today. You just can't seem to get victory over it. First of all, you've got to make a decision to stop it. Stop it. Then you've got to turn from it and you've got to run to God concerning that area. See, that's repentance. Now, James says in James 4.4, 4, he says, "...you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God?" Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, this is a pretty powerful, as a matter of fact, it's a very powerful, very strong stated passage of Scripture here. He starts by calling uh, Jewish, born-again, Spirit-filled believers, adulteresses. Wow. I mean, somebody calls me an adulterer, I'm going to say, well, what do you mean, you know? But James says, you adulteresses. And again, I'm going to say it. They, these are born again, spirit filled Christians he's speaking to. And, and were they caught in the act of physical adultery? No. So why would James call them adulteresses? I'll give you one good, good answer, the only answer. Because they are married to Jesus. They're married to Jesus. Jesus came and purchased them with His blood. They've accepted that love, received Him into their heart. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, but yet they're now being friendly with the world. Here's a good analogy. A husband and wife love each other. They've been married several years. They're devoted to each other, but one day the husband decides he's going to start flirting with somebody at work. He starts making these innuendos that are not real healthy. They're not really Christian. And it starts going in the direction of a possible affair. What is this? It's adultery. That's That's natural adultery. Why is it adultery? Because he is married to another woman. And when you start becoming friends in the wrong way with another woman other than your wife, that is adultery. Well, James call, he calls these people, Christians, adulteresses because they're married to God, but they want to be friendly with the world. I pray that, that every person uh, listening to this would be stirred to see that it is not a good thing to be accepted by the world, to be friendly in any area. I'll get it out. It involves going against the Word of God. So, because we are married to Jesus, when we become friends with the world, we become adulteresses and adulterers. Now, then, brings up some more questions: What is friendship with the world? Well, the word "friendship" from the original language is the word "philia." Now, we get Philadelphia, we get phileo, we get some words; they're kin, and it's it's a it's a brotherly type love. It's it is a fondness, if you will. With the world. That's what friendship with the world is. but Jesus has already said of His disciples and those who believe in Him through their word that once they receive Him, they're no longer of the world. So to become friends with the world and you're not of the world is a form of spiritual adultery. Now, why is friendship with the world hostility toward God? Let me answer that. I'll begin to answer that with another question. Who is the God of this world? We know the God of this world is Satan. And Satan, or actually through Adam and Eve, the world was handed over to Satan and he became the ruler of this world way back in the Garden of Eden. And even though Jesus has come and broken the power of sin over mankind and given us the choice to receive the work of the cross and be free from that sin... Satan for a time longer is still the God of this world so when you become the friendly with this world you're becoming friendly with the God of this world now that is called hostility toward God what is hostility hostility is enmity and the word enmity is the state of feeling of being excuse me is the state or feeling of being actively opposed to or hostile to someone or something. Now, first of all, put yourself in God's place. When you become friendly with the world, that's enmity. That's hostility. So God feels that He is being actively opposed. That's why James said earlier that that, that, that he He jealously desires the Spirit that He's put in us. Because that Spirit, when it's put in us, it's because we belong to Jesus. And when we become friendly with the world, then we are actively opposing the God of the universe, or we're being hostile toward Him. Now, way back in the Garden of Eden, when God showed up and after Adam and Eve had sinned and everything, He talked about enmity there, and He said He was going to put enmity between Eve's seed between the serpent and Eve's seed, which was Jesus. So there's always enmity between Jesus and Satan, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And so that enmity is hostility. And when we become friendly with the world and the God of this world, again, we're putting enmity or hostility between ourselves and God. And friend, that is not a very good thing. So let me encourage you. I hope that will open some eyes today. You know, nobody deliberately wants to be an enemy of God, not in their right mind, and certainly no believer in God would ever want to be an enemy of God. But when we become friends with the world, we become, host- we become hostile toward God because that puts enmity between us and God. Again, because God put enmity between the serpent or Satan and the seed of man back in the Garden of Eden, and he was referring to the seed as Jesus. And that will never go away. You know, Satan's days are are numbered, and he's going to get what's coming to him. Now, enough said about that. Again, James 4, 7 and 8. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What an incredible promise. If I draw near to God through repentance, through prayer, then he will draw near to me. Now, James goes on to say this, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is the essence of repentance, which is necessary to have revival. We cleanse our hands. He, he, was, call, he was calling them sinners because they were sinning by putting enmity between themselves and God, being hostile toward God and purify your hearts, he was calling them double-minded because they were friendly with the world and they wanted to serve God. Doesn't work, my friend. That's why those strong words came out of the mouth of James under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So when we submit to God, resist the devil, he flees from us, and we draw near to God, then we can cleanse our hands. We can purify our hearts in the presence of God. That's very necessary for revival. I hope this is clear. It's very necessary. The essence of repent, repentance, and it's necessary for revival. James goes on to say, he says, Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into joy. Excuse me, your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He's not saying that you have, a, have to live a miserable life and you have to be depressed and crying all the time. He's talking about be miserable and mourn and weep over those things that were causing you to put hostility between yourself and God, that were, that were causing you to be an enemy of God. It should make us miserable. It should make us mourn and weep because no one wants to be hostile toward God. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom, he said. In other words, be serious about it. Bottom line, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. So as I close, let me ask you a question. Will you do it? Will you agree to have revival? Will you decide to have revival, and decide to pray, and decide to repent, and do your part, and draw near to God, and he'll do his part by drawing near to us? Will you make the decision to have revival? Are you are you tired of the way things are going? Do you, would you like to see some things change? Are you tired of looking at the world and and seeing all the stuff going on and 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 wondering where the church is and wondering why so many churches are just passive and allowing things to happen and they don't want to make any waves or anything like that? If you're tired of that, my friend, press into revival. Decide with me to have revival, and you're going to keep uh, you're going to be devoted to prayer. You're going to be devoted to Jesus. You're not going to let your feelings determine whether you pray or not. You're not going to let your feelings determine whether you repent or you turn away from those things. Friends, a lot of the things that you repent of and turn away from, you might have to do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. But you keep doing it because you've made the decision to repent. Of those things in those areas, and the more you do it, and the more consistent and persistent, and the more you persevere in those things, then you'll see the stronghold of the enemy fall and be obliterated. In Acts chapter three: nineteen, as I close, Peter was preaching. He was preaching to non-Christians, they were Jewish people, they were at that time the people of God, and they still are. He said, "Therefore repent and return." Because they had drifted away from, they were into lawlessness, they had even drifted away from the law. He says, Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Well, yes, he was talking to non Christians there, and he was wanting them to repent, and so they could be refreshed as God's chosen people, as the Jews, uh, by the Spirit of God. But the principle remains for those who are now. The people of God, by the Spirit of God, who've received Jesus, who are who have drifted away, whatever repent and return, stop doing those things that cause that that put distance between you and God and enmity, so that your sins may be wiped away and let times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. It's that refreshing that comes. It's that rejuvenating. It's that revival that comes. The fires of revival that cause other people to see that yes, God is genuine and He's real and I want that. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I pray that you have a very blessed day. God bless you.